0: Listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R.
1: Hello, are uh, You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast with Sarah Jez and Daniels for the week, July eight to July thirteen. If you have not looked in your little podcatcher and seen that.
2: Oh, there you go. Yeah. Day after my birthday. It's important to, to mention
1: that. It really is. Mm. Uh, big week it was, following on from Jet's uh, surprise engagement last week. Yes. This week I felt pretty packed. We spoke to Al Cosser, the Artistic Director of the Melbourne International Film Festival because the program is out there. So it's time to get out your highlighters or jump online, whatever your favourite medium is. Uh, and <laughs> we also uh, – what else did we talk about? Oh, uh You could just pick one of those. Can I? Yeah, Yeah, I just went went really blank (laughs) about what we talked about. Um, Well, we had a little chat about that feeling when you're a kid and you uh, throw fruit at a sibling's head and time slows down and Mm. also uh, features a story of my brother in roller skates on a rope. It's well
2: worth listening to. Uh, We had a chat about um, free camping. Kath and I did a bit of free camping Mm. and what that really is uh, when we were travelling around New Zealand and also um, I yeah got engaged last week and um, just had a little bit of chat about telling my dad about my engagement and how that
3: went. Uh, we also spoke to the Artistic Director of the Melbourne Writers Festival, Marie Cardi, about uh, the festival coming up 30th of August. Its theme is when we talk about love. And we spoke to French-based author Tara June Winch who's uh, back home talking about her novel The Yield. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone.
2: When uh, Kath and I went to New Zealand uh, a few weeks ago, whenever it was, um, we, we hired a camper van to cruise around in. Mm. Um, went a bit upmarket and got one with a toilet and shower. Oh. Ooh. Sweet. It is it was so good. Do you have to
1: empty a toilet yourself though? Yes, but that was Kath's job. Uh. <laughs> That's but why I wouldn't do that.
2: But it's all it's it's kind of all con- contained. You don't see um well, no, I don't know. It's like it's it's contained in there are You, you were there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I...
1: Oh, she, Kath warned me not to stick around. Oh. Um, so what I love about Kath. Loves the loves to organize things but it isn't doesn't discriminate. She'll do the shit jobs and the good jobs. Mm.
2: It's cuz she used to she was was a nurse at one stage and nurses are like number 1 for dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is why they should get paid 5 times the amount that they do. Um but uh yeah, so we had this toilet chat. So when you're um cruising around most of the time we would stay like um at caravan sites and and whatnot. But they have this thing called free camping. And obviously the um our camp van was equipped to to be self sufficient. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had um you used a battery and it had gas so you could um you know, you use the to gas to heat up the water for a shower and do cooking and all that kind of stuff. So you could camp overnight, no problem, without needing to plug in anywhere. Um, but there's only certain places where you can do this free camping. Um, and in my mind, I had, like, we'd just be in the forest somewhere or something like oh, that and yeah. just, you know. Free camping. Yeah, yeah. free camping, like no-one else around. Naked. And, yeah. I'd... Gets cold, so probably. Okay, I remember. Yeah, was that your idea of free camping? A lot of
1: people say free. You know, like f- you
2: think free of clothes uh, yes. and yeah,
1: free, yeah, free, free of the constraints of yeah, society. Yeah, all
2: society. <laughs> no. No, no clothes. That's what that means. Anyway, um, so I had that idea. I'm like, oh yeah, we should absolutely, you know, one or two nights we should do this free camping. Um, And but there's only certain places you can do it. So we got to one town. We're like, let's let's do it tonight. And we kind of looked up different places we could do it. And we went to one place and like, let's go check this out. And uh, essentially, it's a car park. We were just in oh. a in a car park. <laughs> oh God! Like there's a park there, and there was like a, there was sure it was yeah. It's a beautiful river in front of us, oh, but God. it was yeah. like close to the city. In it, and I'm like I, wait.
3: I could do this at High Point.
2: <laughs> yes, it really <laughs> no, was. No, no. I was just like, oh, I can't. I don't know if, and, you know, I mean, it was convenient because it was close to the city and... Oh, that's so
3: disappointing. And whatnot. So we were just like... Did you just stay there? No, no, no. I I got naked for this. I'm
2: going to stay there for a bit. Like, we were just kind of sitting there and just going, yeah, but do we want to... And I went, I don't want to stay in this car park. Let's let's go. And because there was another one a bit further out of town and we were like... Let's, you know... I don't like, want to stay in this <laughs> car park. <Yeah. laughs> Which is fair, right? So it was just like, oh, let's go, you know, a little bit a little bit further out. And there was a place that was, like, right on, on, on the beach. And we're like, oh, that sounds, you know, heaps better, you know. Imagine waking up in the morning looking out at the, you know, at the beach and stuff.
1: I feel like they can't call it camping. It like has to, <laughs> like, adver- that's false advertising, calling it camping if it's a mm. car park. Yes, I... I absolutely
2: just 100% free, agree.
1: Free, free, <laughs> free parking.
4: Yeah,
2: free parking would be more of. <laughs> yeah. Like, just. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um but handy in summer anyway so we were like oh let's let's cruise up to the and we found and also the time of the year that we we went and mentioned that there weren't there's some free camping sites that weren't free camping there's only there was limited places where you could actually do it right so we were like oh let's go up to this one and it was yeah right on the beach up the hill and it was beautiful and there was like um a, here's, it was another car park it was another <laughs> car park but much more beautiful surrounding and less less parking yeah. in the oh. car park like the first one was very much shopping centre car park yes in a public you know and mm-hmm. then there were it was a bit less of oh, people are here for for this for this rather than oh i'm just going to go do some shopping i was
1: like i feel like that was have all wo- stay- <laughs> <laughs> That's why they name... Like, when I was a kid, we'd always go on road trips and I'd say, we'd go, where are we staying? And it was always something like, Paradise Inn. And as a child, it would be like, whoa, "Whoa, Paradise (laughs) Inn. And then we'd get there and it'd be... Oh, like uh, the scariest, creepiest little <laughs> caravan park. Yeah. And it wasn't paradisey I feel like it's false advertising.
2: Yeah. Anyway, so we kept... Um, w- when we arrived, it was like, oh, there's a couple of other, you know, camper vans there or, you know, little people that obviously, you know, would set up to sleep there for the night. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Love this. So we kind of went up the end and there was no one next to us and then kind of, you know, just sat there and... It was stunning. It was so beautiful. We drank wine and just. Do you know I can't stop
1: imagining you guys all naked now? <laughs>
2: Yeah. Well. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, we got our clothes off. We toasted to each other. Like, Here's to boobies and Freaking. wine. All
4: right. Um
2: so, And it was just, you know, it was it was boobies and wine. <laughs> Cheers. Um, <laughs> And then we just, you know, so there and, you know, watch the, the, you know, the sunset and, well, I don't, I don't know where the sun was setting <laughs> anyway. It was just, you know, it was beautiful
4: and it just was Turn nonsense. the lights off at of Jack yeah. and Jean. Yeah.
2: <laughs> just, you know, sitting there having a lovely time and, and then, you know, going to bed and then it, getting up in the morning and going out and realising that it is chock-a-block, this car park, oh. and it was like... You know, so we are like, oh, quick, get your clothes on. Um, <laughs> but it was just – it was obviously where a lot of – it was like prime surfing – a prime surfing spot. Oh. So all these surfers would rock up and, you know, they'd camp overnight. And we just – park in the car park. Yeah. So – and it was like we were the odd ones at because we weren't surfing. Like we were just these – you know, holiday makers getting in, taking up a carping mm. spot from all the surfers that were there. But it was just like, oh, this is not at all what I imagined free camping would be. <laughs> just sort it would all be whining boobies, but...
3: Free <laughs> Triple R the melbourne international film festival has been running continuously since 1952 making it the leading film festival in australia and one of the oldest in the world the full program for 2019 has just dropped and to tell us what's in store we're joined by miff's artistic director and a familiar voice to triple r al cossa al welcome breakfasters thanks good morning good morning now you've been working with the festival for many years but this is your first as artistic director
5: how are you feeling Oh, look, I'm, I'm feeling pretty excited. As you say, the program dropped last night and I think that's a, a, a real kind of calendar day to circle for Melbourne's kind of, you know, full sort of assortment of cinephiles. You, mm-hmm. um, you launch the program, you go home, you check the Twitter feed and everyone is highlighting, circling, everyone's kind of there by the fires with their coffee, making their plans with their spreadsheet. It's, you know, it's, it's really exciting <laughs> for people, but it's really exciting for us to see that kind of response as yeah. well. Yeah,
3: and it's the largest program in the festival's history, is that right?
5: It's 382 films. So it Whoa. is a cine Everest to be conquered. Yes. <laughs>
3: wow. And wh-
5: where where
3: would you start
5: as a cinephile? Oh, look, it's uh, for me. I think a, a really accessible place for people to start might be our headliners strand, and mm-hmm. these are those you know really anticipated festival blockbusters. There's a lot of direct from Khan titles in there, and if you need a, a, a really kind of easy but really exciting entry point to the festival this is this is the place to look so we've got titles in there like jennifer kent's the nightingale which is just one of the most incredible australian films i've seen in a long time there we've got something like sorry we missed you which is the new ken loach film that was competition at Calm. that's a that's a film that just broke me i just thought it was absolutely amazing it's you know loach really kind of has become one of our most contemporary filmmakers I mean he's 82 but he's making films that just speak so appreciently to the to the present moment I think and this is him dealing with um, the gig economy and with the, the pressures of Zero Hour Britain on a working family um, and to go from so say I Daniel Blake which he won the Palms d'Or film um, with with his last um, to this is just an incredible kind of you know double act I think as well so I think look at headliners for your best first in to myth this year and what's opening night? So opening Night is the world premiere of the Australian Dream, so this is the story of Adam Goodes um, as two-time Brownlow medalist winner, as former Australian of the Year, Um, and his experiences over the last few years in terms of um, public racism, public conjecture around his standing in the game, and it's, it's a really extraordinary film. It's a story you might think you know, but you you don't when you see it like this in terms of an indigenous perspective, in terms of Adam telling his own story, in terms of it being a collaboration with Stan Grant as well. It's it's a film that you know certainly presents what happens but it it really does look at it from a historical context and a social context and it really does bring that indigenous perspective front and center um so it's it's such an affecting such an incredible film and such a film that has so much to say about who we are together so it i feel like it's a really big statement of an opening night film Mm. and i think it's a film that will really resonate strongly with us
3: And there are films from 78 countries?
5: Yes, that's right. Um, 78 countries, 64 languages. Um, So myth is, you know, the biggest showcase of Australian filmmaking in the world, but we really do kind of reach out globally. Um, and there are, there are countries featured in there that we've never featured in, in the festival before. I think of a film like Vi, which is a, a portmanteau or compendium film. And, um, it's from the producers of Waru, if any of your listeners, um, previously went and saw that, but it traces, um, the journey of a young woman, um, through to adulthood. It's the work of eight female Pacific Island filmmakers, um, and seven Pacific Island nations, um, um, and so, it, it takes sort of a chapterized approach in terms of a, a number of dramatic things which happen to this woman. But um, it's you know it's, it's production bases uh, Neway and, and Tonga and, and film you know countries that have actually never existed in our festival database before. Wow. So there's there's always new frontiers for us to discover. And in terms of a really unique, you know incandescent kind of uh, perspective on where we are in the world. It's something really special, I
1: think. Mm. Uh listeners might be interested too, in the music on film stream. You've got, Uh, the Bros documentary, which I've seen and is one of the best music docos I've seen in a very long time, and also the new Wu-Tang doco. Could you talk a little bit about that?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I concur on the Bros doc. Um, It's called After the Screaming Stops, and it kind of uh, picks up on a planned reunion tour 28 years after the fact, and Matt and Luke Goss are... Uh, at Loggerheads, I guess, there's a fair amount of ego and a fair amount of acrimony in the way. Um, but Combined with no self-awareness. No it is the funniest, and <laughs> most beautiful film. <laughs> it's amazing. You could not write a kind of dialogue mm. like this. It is hilarious. Mm. For me, it's getting up there to just one of the best music docs I've seen in, in years. And it's, you know, if you like Spinal Tap, then this yes. is the doc for you, surprisingly. <laughs> wow.
4: Also,
5: uh, it's
2: fun to say Brot doc. Yeah. <laughs>
5: yeah. <laughs> um, and the Wu-Tang doc... Um, Wu-Tang Clan of Mikes and Men is the title. Um, This is a four-part documentary. It's presented over two sessions by Sasha Jenkins, who was previously... um programmed at Myth with Fresh dress to hip hop fashion doc a few years back and this is pure epicness as you know you would expect nothing less yes. um, in terms of this I think this will go out the door in terms of the tickets so it's one to be very quick about what's, but it, yeah, definitive wh- is the word
3: what's something that you think you just programmed just for you
5: <laughs> <laughs> Just for me, ah, oh, that's that's a really tricky one. Look, there was a a music doc that I was really charmed by personally, mm-hmm. um, and it's a small a small story, but I hope that people kind of discover it. Um, he's an artist that might be known to to some of your listeners. However, it was um, Cool Daddyo, the second youth of R. Stevie Moore. And R. Stevie Moore is sort of an all-time lo-fi bedroom savant. He's released over 400-plus albums. Um, He likes to stay home, record albums pretty much every week, put them out there. And it kind of looks... It's a really fascinating character doc and a portrait of uh, someone who's creative in a very particular and sort of unique way Um, and includes Ariel Pink, MGMT, David Shrigley in there as well. I thought that was... Yeah, I thought that was really, really charming. That's great.
1: Sometimes in these huge uh, programs, there's brilliant films that kind of slip to the bottom just because there's other big names around. If you could pull out one or two for people that you think might not grab their attention straight away but they should go and see, what would they be? Yeah,
5: sure. Look, there's a really... Sweet, really charming film um, that might kind of not capture people's attention sort of front and centre, um, but I think it will charm a lot of people. It's by Sarah Doser. It's called The Seer and the Unseen. It's actually sitting within our environmental doc strand this year. Um, and it's set in Iceland and uh, within Icelandic folklore. Um, there's the the Huldefolk or hidden folk, which is essentially yes, your elves that's... and your trolls. Ah. And, um, it, it, you know, there's a certain belief in them and that belief, might appear to be on the fringes of, I guess, a cultural perspective, but I think there was a a survey released in the late 90s that suggested that 54% of Icelanders actually believed in this, so it's something which is very seminal to how the country sees itself. So this documentary um, follows uh, an older woman called uh, Riga, and her job, uh, people come to her before they develop their land or extend their guest house or whatever to see how it will affect the surrounding elves... Um, and so Amazing. it's a pretty incredible and again this is a documentary and so the, the film actually centres on an environmental fight where they're um, trying to stop development um, in a particular area of Iceland because it will go through some of these alvish sites and so we see a lot of films that are about the urgency of particular environmental issues but this is very singular and it's very unique in terms of what that fight is and what it means to i guess how that culture sees itself yeah Yeah. that's so
2: cool i have a question um jeff goldblum is (laughs) a bit of a star of the festival this year uh and there will be a goldblum marathon um, but I'm looking at the list, and there's no Jurassic Park in there.
5: <laughs> yes, I know. I hear what you're saying, and I share your sorrow with that. Um, there are particular distributor complications, which mean that film Fair. was not possible, however much we wish to play. But it.
2: there's also a terrific list of films on there, and probably you know a few that some haven't seen before. But what a what a lineup! Like there's you know there's Thor, there's The Fly, um, Earth Girls Are Easy, Independence Day. Like that's a that's a mad list of films Look, amongst others. But yeah.
5: And this is one of the real joys of the festival, I think. This is a, only at a, you know, a festival kind of event. This is seven films. It's over 700 minutes. It's a full overnight. I mean, this is sort of a spiritual sequel to the Nicholas cage yeah, we did yeah. last year, I think, which we had a lot of fun with. Um, and, you know, it's one of the joys of the festival, full stop, where you can have Thor Ragnarok at whatever, 3 a.m. in the morning, and then in another corner of the program you've got the 14-hour... Mar- uh, Mariano Lina's film La Flor. and you can have these things coexisting, and therefore audiences to kind of discover an equal message, uh, measure, as well.
3: Mm. And uh, Quentin Tarantino fans are in luck.
5: Yes, um, Victorian premiere for once a time in Hollywood that's screening in the first weekend of the festival, Saturday, August third. Um, it'll be in the Aster, Very excitingly, it will be on mm. thirty-five mil uh, projection as well.
3: Ooh. What's what's the uh, th- what's the food and film? situation you've got going on?
5: Definitely. Well, um, we've got a couple of special events, um, which are uh, food and film based, basically film on a plate. So we have a collaboration with Supernormal um, in the city, and so they've come on board to interpret a couple of films. Uh, One of those films is the hotly anticipated Long Day's Journey Into Night by Big So this is a film that's something special as well, because It's both 2D and 3D. Um, The film starts as 2D and about an hour in. Um, you put on 3D glasses and there's a single, I think, 59 minute, th- uh, you know, 3D shot that you go through. So the film, even by itself, is is, is quite incredible. Um, and as it, you know, anyone who's seen his previous work, Kylie Blues, I think, will be very, very excited by this. But um, Supernormal are developing a five course tasting banquet inspired wow. by the film. Um, they're also working with a second film in the program by uh, Makoto Nagahisa. Uh, which is called We Are Little Zombies, which is about a group of, um, I guess, Japanese uh, preteens who meet in the wake of all of their parents' deaths and form a pop band. And so it's very, like, hectically inventive, very kind of neon, fluoro colours, lots of 8-bit kind of isms on the soundtrack. And again, it's a really fascinating base to develop a food offering from and interpret a kind of a film in a very, very unique way. So there'd be a five-course banquet available uh. around that well, as well.
3: Thank you for barreling- through some of this, because there's 259 feature films, 123 shorts, 16 virtual reality experiences, 31 world premieres and 160 Australian premieres over 18 days. So you've done a lot of work, and uh, we, we appreciate <laughs> bringing all that cinema to us. Uh, it's, MIF goes from August 1 to 18. Go to mif.com.au for details. Al Cosser, thanks for coming in.
5: Thank you very much. Three triple
3: Uh, Marie Cardi is a screenwriter, artist, author, immersive theatre maker, former breakfaster, yeah. <laughs> and artistic director of the Melbourne Writers Festival, which runs uh, from 30th of August to the 8th of September. And she joins us now to talk about the program. Marie, welcome to Breakfasters. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Yeah, that's I think what you I mean. mean. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what's the vibe like? Uh, you what mean a, in the room right yeah, now? Yeah, no, no. It's in quite the, in the, yeah, quite yeah. Family seems good. Uh, congratulations on the program. Thanks, mate. Uh, what? What's the th- its theme is uh, when we talk about love, yeah. what, wh- why does that sing to you? Well,
0: I'm a lover, not a fighter, So, and the world is on fire the world is an absolute garbage fire. So I just thought, you know, why not wear your heart on your sleeve? So the last year's last year's theme was A Matter of Life and Death, which was a pretty broad umbrella. And I think this year is a pretty broad umbrella as well. So it's not just romantic love and heartbreak, but it's connection to family and to home and bodies and sex and passion and resilience and grief and sense of place and purpose. So, yeah, again, people speaking, I think, from an authentic place, that's the platform that I like to create for people to connect with artists that they think they know rather than someone just sitting there having an in-conversation about their book, of which there's plenty of those as well. Mm. It's how do we exist in the world as humans and where is that uh, platform for empathy? And, and I know that sounds very earnest, no, but I don't no. give a shit. Yes. <laughs> no, we, I think we need that. Exactly. I think so too. Oh, look, I'm absolutely unashamedly earnest, so, yeah. yeah and you've, cura-
3: you've curated it. It, does, it feels like an expansive, exciting dinner party. Oh, thank you. Uh, born from your mind. And, and is there? Oh, it's
0: not my mind. It's right in the middle of my chair. <laughs> yeah. so that's right here.
3: And is, is there something that you're anticipating feverishly?
0: Yes, it's the Museum of Broken Relationships, which is the heart of the festival for me. Last year we built an animal church, which was a place of people to speak about lost and loved animal muses, which was very close to my heart. But the Museum of Broken Relationships is an actual museum uh, started in Zagreb in Croatia by an ex-couple who created this museum of objects that were donated anonymously by members of the public and they are objects of heartbreak and hope and and letting go and resilience. And there's a permanent uh, museum in Zagreb and one in Los Angeles. I've been to both of them and they are the most magical spaces. And when I knew the theme of this year's festival, I thought, gosh, imagine if we could bring that here because they've got a touring exhibit and contacted them and they said yes. This is like my – I'm sort of screaming like a (laughs) fangirl about this. So the Croatian curators are going to curate a Melbourne-specific – exhibit which is going to be open for a month it opens during our festival um at no vacancy gallery and they're going to do a call out for melbourne pieces so people can donate their objects so i've I've put something in there already (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well so many things to choose from but i just chose one and so they'll bring over objects from the international collection as well as melbourne ones and i just think having been in the space myself i know what it does and what a beautiful place it is. So, I guess the way that we've reframed the Melbourne Writers' Festival to be more of a literary arts festival and to be more of a collection of stories and storytelling that really symbolises for me the ways that we tell stories on a human level that don't necessarily exist between two covers because mm. those museums are a collection of human stories and how we let go. So,
1: yeah. You have very transformed
0: the festival in this Thank way.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I like, yeah, but it's amazing and it's so... I, I, I love it and I love this year's program. Has it been difficult... Doing that? No, everyone loves it. Like,
0: Uh, it's universally, (laughs) everyone
1: loves change. I think
0: goes quite
1: well to it. Um, (laughs) All industries love
0: change. Everyone loves it. (laughs) No, I mean, obviously. I can't program for other people. Like, you can't be inauthentic in that regard. And of course, everyone's not going to like it. And people do fear change, and that's fine. But I was, you know, recruited to the job to change the festival and to kind of shift it slightly and to make it more of a kind of weirdo arts party, which is what it is. And within that, there's still, like, there's lots of authoring conversations and Patrick DeWitt and Val McDermott, Kim Gordon be still my beating vagina, you know, like, Phoebe Square. so there's all of those author and Ben Folds is talking to Charlie Pickering, uh, Tayari Jones and Doray McKesson. So all the like kind of literary people are still there having those in conversations, but within that we've sort of broadened it out. There's um there's a an event where you get to marry your friends. Emily Zoe Baker is creating this ceremony because our friends are often our chosen family and are with mm-hmm. us through richer and poorer. So there's one of those, Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney are having a hen's night. We're going to throw uh, a wedding reception for Yumi Steins. Stuart Ringholt who does those naturist tours of the Museum of Contemporary Art in the Terrell. Have you seen that? I love him. And he's going to do two tours of the State Library catacombs and he's naked and the audience is naked. Uh, so you can what? be, yeah, He's a naturist. He's a naturist artist, oh and he God. does these naturist tours. He's the most magical person, and he's a real hero of mine. And so he's agreed to do these two tours of the, you know, back corridors of the state library <gasps> where everyone's naked. So within that, oh, this is, and then there's panels, you That's know, yours. Loads, bit of everything. <laughs> I know.
2: There's also, I saw um, Edo and Nath Valvo are helping people write their wedding vows. Yeah,
0: we thought, because, you know, there's <laughs> Sean M Whelan, who is a celebrant, is hosting that event. And it's about what makes a good wedding vow? Because, yeah. you know, people either just like download them from the internet or write their own, which is sometimes ill advised. Yeah. And I, Edo and Nath are going to be performing some of the kind of worst ones. <laughs> I, ke- I keep thinking, like, I don't. What, Beck, Beck Hewitt's Wedding poem to Leighton Hewitt, do you remember oh, yes, that? Yeah, I'm oh. going to forget. Yeah, I just feel a bit sweaty on my palms thinking about it But <laughs> oh, uh, I have to Google it. Oh, look, it's so it's, good Again, it's from the heart, so you Lots know Lots of love was yeah. wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. and yeah. about meeting him at the tennis and yeah. stuff like that. It really told a story. There was a strong narrative there <laughs> So I feel like there's a lot of we're doing the book clubs are coming back and you know, the, which is for an audience of about 20 or 30 and Judith Luce is doing Judith Luce is doing um, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian which is just so off brand it makes me <laughs> Really <laughs> happy. And Nazim Hussein is doing The Little Prince. So there's a lot of kind of books and words and authors in there. And then within that kind of pond there's also like people running around the library naked and, you
3: know, (laughs) and and getting married. On (laughs) the flip side of romance, Casey Bonetto is a breakup celebrant.
0: Oh, I'm really excited about that. That's the last event we've got. So we're turning the top in town. First weekend is a wedding chapel, second weekend is a divorce court with sort of themed stuff going on within there. I'll be in the divorce court. Yes, you will be. (laughs) (laughs) And Casey's event is the last one in there and we wanted to do a mass of lament, so just like a service where people get a bit of letting go. I do love a bit of catharsis. I mean, Mm. Women of Letters, which I co-curated for seven years, was for me a space for the people on stage to kind of let Mm. something go and people in the audiences to connect with them. So that's a big drive of what I put in the festival as well. Mm. And so wanting to create a space where people can go, I'm watching this person and it's giving me something to let go of. And I already know what Casey's doing and it is... I get to see about six things in the festival, so I have to be very careful about what I see, and that's one that I would really love to go to. He's going to do something magical.
2: I just want to flag that I am part of this festival and I'm not just going to the divorce course.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, you you just got engaged and you're already... That was was a light scandal, wasn't it? It's over. I'm I'm just reporting it now. Bye.
3: And what about negotiating with authors about what they can bring... Uh, to the to the event Did, is it do you have to massage them into a direction that you would like or well, you
0: can't really do that can you I mean you I mean some people just aren't comfortable speaking about certain things and I'm really respectful of that I don't want to just shove someone into a position just to make the festival narrative work mm. um working with an international author we do have a lot of generated content in the festival and that's from women of letters as well like people writing new pieces so in this festival there's people writing a love letter to the future and to themselves and to a book or people writing about motherhood or bodies and home there 's a, um, a session about called i don 't want you back where people are writing new pieces about something they 're letting go and talking to an international i 'm like it would be great to get that person in and th- and they said i just don 't like writing to a to a brief yeah right i just i don 't want to write something new and you just think fine yeah. and also I guess again from women of letters, a lot of people were saying. There were things that were too personal for them to talk about or that made some trauma for them that they did not want to talk about i have no interest in putting someone in that space if they're not comfortable it should feel good for them like you want it you want it to be something that is either healing for them or hopeful for them. So, yeah, no, no, no massaging, just mm. just a little bit hand holding.
3: But it does sound <laughs> difficult. I mean, the the, the self immolation of art I, makes stresses me out just thinking about it. Already. About Patrick
0: DeWitt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read his books? He is amazing. French Exit is so good. Mm. I'm really excited. I met him in Auckland at one point. I went to Auckland Writers Festival and there was an opening ceremony, and I was sitting there, and out of one corner, I could see Andrew Sean Greer, who wrote Less, which was my favourite book of last year that won the Pulitzer and the other I could see Patrick (gasps) DeWitt. I was just there going... <laughs> and that was May 17th before the world really caught on fire so I I remember that as like a last glorious day.
3: Well uh, thank you for attempting to pour some water on this hot world of fire uh, You're
4: hey, welcome. A bit of love juice
3: uh, <laughs> So uh, mwf.com.au is where you can find all the, uh, all the program and uh, we've been speaking to Marie Hardy, the Artistic Director of the Melbourne Rhiners Festival Thanks so much, Marie. Thanks, friends <laughs> Three triple
4: R.
2: I don't know um, if uh, you guys remember, but um, I got engaged. <laughs> on,
3: in case you miss on it, I Friday. got en- engaged on Friday was that, morning. Was that, that was after Sarah got back from Italy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you go to
4: Italy? <laughs> <laughs> no one told me that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um anyway so yeah quite obviously a lot of people know about it and um so when kath uh you know pre in um, amongst her planning told um certain people to tune in yes. so they wouldn't miss it um you know like my but they didn't
1: know what was going to happen
2: Yes, they didn't know, but it's funny. And even uh, she got my um, one of my nieces to go round to mum's place to make sure to help her set it set it up on the app and stuff, so oh. she could listen. But um, not knowing that mum listens all the time and already has the app and had been listening to the entire show anyway. Oh. so um, like you know, my oh, niece is hickey. Yeah, and rocked up at mum's place and was like, "Oh, I'm here," to, and mum's like, "Yeah." I'm been listening <laughs> tune in um but um it was uh but we hadn't told dad so when it all came out it was like oh I, you know this is i have to tell dad but dad because dad has dementia and it's like a bit um he was in respite at, at at that time and it was like oh just wait till he gets out of respite and then and it's like oh should i tell him like in person um as well because it's also you know as part of his dementia he's kind of gone back to ye olde times of homophobic times so know. You know, he doesn't quite <laughs> you that you really know, nicely he's <laughs> so, gone back to ye oldy
5: homophobic, homophobic times
2: <laughs> but he just you know he's just yeah. he's forgotten that you know um that he got used to the idea of his daughter being gay um so it was Anyway, so it was just like trying to de- decide when to tell him and how he would react and and whatnot. Um, uh, so, because when you know when he was first diagnosed, um, he really it was. It's kind of it's really funny and sad at the same time but like one of the first things uh when he cuz when he first got diagnosed is when he ca- he'd come out of surgery and he was really kind of all over the shop like you know it was really quite bad and um but I was telling him about um like I was uh doing a comedy special on ABC and I was telling him about that and he was so excited he was like oh that's great that's so good that's oh I'm so happy for you and then the next thing he goes, I mean, you're not going to be kissing any of, your, any of your girlfriends. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, I'm the special. Oh <laughs> yeah. uh, First of all, how uh, many girlfriends do you think I have? <laughs> And I'm like, I'm honoured that you think that I would have Multiple. many girlfriends, but no, that, no, I we'll have just be one. The one. Yeah, and no, I won't be kissing any girlfriends. <laughs> I <feel bad> for <laughs> laughing. No, it is, it's funny though. Like it's so funny. Oh. And then, and then there was like, you know, another time we were sitting there, um, and we were going through old photos and stuff, and my sister pulled out a photo, and it was me when I was like in in mm. kinder, like. um... And uh, everyone was like, oh, you were so cute. Like, you know, look how cute you were. You were one of the cutest little kids. And I, you know, joking was like, yeah, but what happened? And Dad had been lying on his bed just staring at the wall, like not engaged in any of the conversation. And Dad, that's when he turns and looks at everyone and goes, she went gay. That's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so it's that kind of, so it was a bit kind of, oh, how are we going to tell Dad? Nostalgic the oldie times. Yeah tell dad that i'm engaged so oh so dad um yeah he'd been in in, in respite and I, I was speaking to my my sister um therese the other night she said oh hey it's all so, we saw dad the other the other day and i'm like oh yeah she goes he knows he knows and I'm like knows you know knew that I was engaged and and she's like and he's really happy about it everything's great like you know he's like oh Geraldine's engaged it's so great I was like oh that's interesting I'm like I wonder how he found out like I wonder you know I don't know whether he saw it or if someone you know another family member told him or you know you know or friends of the family had told him and stuff because he'd had visitors and whatnot and I was like, Oh, that's really funny. that's oh anyway, I mean, it's great that he knows whatever and then um and then I get a phone call of um and my eldest sister, Sally, um like in half an hour later, and she's like, Johnny, I'm so sorry, I have something to confess to you <laughs> um I told Dad, <laughs> so obviously Therese had gotten off the phone to me and called. Sally and was like chatting to Sally and said oh yeah and dad knows and everything and everything's great and Sally didn't say anything to Teresa just in internally was like oh oh no that's me (laughs) I've spoilt everything and so she calls me and she's like I'm so sorry that it was I'm like oh it's totally fine and but you know she said that you know she said, "Oh, I was telling it, and the words were coming out of my mouth, and I was mm. like, Oh no, this is not mine to tell i'm so sorry i'm just i'm just gonna i I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll apologize uh, and then but also she was like, also it doesn't matter because you'll forget anyway, mm. so you'll forget mm-hmm. again tomorrow Danny. um and so you know she I'm like oh it's totally fine and but she said that he was like, Oh, that's great, and he went who's she getting married to and like you know, so he's like to Kath, and he goes to a cat, to a cat. <laughs> oh God! <laughs>
4: and stepped I up guess, a notch,
2: no. and he goes no, no to to Catherine. And He goes Catherine, oh, and then my sister goes you, you know, you feel a bit odd about that, don't you? And he goes yeah, yeah. There's something. And she's like, don't worry about it, Dad. It's just a party. We're going to have a good party. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. You know, he got really excited. And so... I would be too if yeah.
1: I thought my daughter's getting married to a
2: cat. <laughs> I might have, yeah, that's what, how I interpret Anyway, so I speak to Dad yesterday morning and, of course, he, I said, have you heard about my exciting news? He goes, no. And I went, oh, okay. I, I said, I'm getting married. And he went, oh, yes, that's right. You're getting married to a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but dad I'm trying to go on that. Oh, it's just a party and it's all right and he goes, "Oh, yeah, yeah, that's all right." Anyway, and then he started, you know, talking about mum and then and then all of a sudden he started saying something else and I'm like, I think, what's happening here? What's, oh, this is a prayer of the faithful. <laughs> like, this is... Just, <laughs> what? He just started saying, he goes, anyway, we thank the Lord for all the gifts. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my and I'm like, oh, yeah, back to the ye oldie times.
3: Triple right. so. R, not for everyone, for anyone.
2: Dr Jen was in uh, on on Wednesday talking about uh, why we perceive time as going more quickly when we're older. Yes. Um, And uh, it just reminded me, like obviously it's all about that, you know, time is relative and um, Deep Blue Sea is uh, one of the greatest films. Oh, yeah. Of of all time. Um, And LL Cool J is in it. He plays the... Have you seen it?
3: No. Oh, Sorry. Well, no,
1: no. Neither. No, neither. Oh, I can't I, see but, everything. You
3: know. Well, I, I will, I promise. Oh, <laughs> treat yourself on <fun> Because <laughs> <Yeah. out. laughs> uh,
2: it's about sharks. Right. And they make sharks smarter. Oh, okay. What? Yeah. That is so good. Yeah. It's and like it's, Jurassic Park but under the sea. Yeah, exactly. And um, Samuel L. Jackson is in it. And um, he uh, gets eaten halfway through in the, in the best way ever. Like, <laughs> you know, he gets,
1: you know, shark. How, how, him. how does one get eaten? What's the best way to be eaten by a shark? Well,
2: he, like, um, no, I'm spoilers, but he stands there and he gives a really impassioned speech of how they're going to conquer, the, like, they're trapped inside this facility and they're, they're <laughs> going, no, nah, we're, you know, we're going to, we'll be fine and, yeah, we're going to stick together and this really kind of motivating talk. Yeah. And then shark comes <laughs> up and bites him <laughs> in half. <laughs> He's gone. And it's just the most. It's just the timing on it is brilliant because you think he's a like a big character and, you know, he gets eaten. <laughs> um, but there's a, – a, so LL Cool J plays a um, – he's a, a chef um, and he's talking to one of the scientists and he goes, oh, yeah, the um, – uh, the Einstein's theory of relativity, he goes, grab hold of a hot pan, second can seem like an hour, mm. put your hands on a hot woman, an hour can seem like a second. Uh-huh. It's all relative. Oh,
1: what
3: a line. <laughs> yeah, isn't
1: I'll it? i work that
2: into
3: th- Who knew in two steps from Dr Jen to LL Cool Chat? <laughs> I know, right? But it's just, you know, um, just, oh, so I was just
2: thinking the other day about um, when time stood still. For, for me, and I, one distinct memory I have is when um, I was a kid, and uh, like, obviously, my brother and I we were closest in age, so, um, and he, he's like three years older than me. Um, but, you know, obviously, spent a lot of time together and played a lot of backyard cricket. Now, the rules in cricket were that you couldn't get out first ball
1: classic that's, classic that's backyard fair, yeah right? yes. especially your younger
2: sister yeah like yeah. be nice Martin. Yeah. come on mm. anyway i might have gotten out on the second ball <laughs> but i still didn't think that was very fair and um, and he thought it was terrific, so he was running around the backyard, going yeah, with, like both fingers in the
3: air, like just going yeah. We bowled, or do you know? How yeah, you got yeah, out? but not wheelie d- bin. Or? Yes, absolutely. Oh well, come on. Yeah, wheelie really bin. they were so big. Yeah, massive. Exactly. It's unfair. Doesn't it? Um, you can't celebrate that much when the stumps are, you know, double yes, the size of the batsman. Totally. Yes,
2: thank you. And so, and also, we we didn't have we'd use a tennis racket instead of a cricket bat. Oh Jesus, Jesus! Yeah. What? Why didn't you have a cricket bat? <laughs> uh, oh, we just <laughs> we had tennis rackets. Okay. Yeah. It was also, you can hit it heaps further with yeah. a tennis racket. Yeah. Get the yeah. sweet spot. We'll six it out. Who cares? <laughs> oh, the glory days. <laughs> <laughs> we did. This is that. But once we did use a fence paling instead of a cricket oh, bat. Oh, God.
3: <laughs> it worked. Um, You're getting bowled with a tennis racket. is a little bit less, you know, like it's the, the middle of the bat is so massive. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. Should, anyway. Proportionate to the stumps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: Anyway, he's running around the
2: backyard going, yeah, got you. And I didn't, did not take too kindly to that. So, yeah, I'm like, no, you can't get it. No, I can't. And then I threw the tennis racket. At his head,
1: oh, it's, it's always a bad move, mm. isn't it?
2: And i I have never seen anything move in slow motion it. before, <laughs> but I just I remember just watching this tennis racket go flip over and <laughs> over and over, <laughs> and just heading directly for his head. Oh no! But it's because as soon as it landed, my left my hand. It's rotating through the air, and I'm looking at it in my mind, just going, "Oh God, miss, miss, miss." Miss, miss. And then it clocked him right on the nose. And just blood straight away. Just this cut on the nose and blood. I remember that feeling as a kid. Yes, do you know what? Do you know what I mean? It's yes. that, oh, oh, no, I feel It was like, always
1: after you threw something, then you went, yeah. no, oh, no, I've, oh, I've, oh, really stuff this yeah. up.
2: And it, like, clutched him on the nose. And then, you know, he was running around in the backyard still, but for very different reasons this time around. And <coughs> I I quietly just went inside. <laughs> just went, oh... <laughs> and I just remember peeking through my bedroom door.
4: <laughs>
2: just, waiting. just waiting. Like, he went in, you know, Mum had to take him to the door. Oh no, and I just just slowly backed
3: away and shut the door and went, oh, yes. Oh. Wait for the 12th man to come out and replace yeah. him. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, well, cricket's over. But cricket, that does happen in cricket. I mean, if you're fielding and the ball... Gets sky high, or and you're underneath it. Oh yes, oh
2: yes. I
3: mean, you could drive a truck through that yeah. time of your life. Waiting for it to. It's also one of those things where they're called sitters, easy catches, mm. and if you drop it, drop a sitter. You drop a sitter, yeah. and you're like the biggest jerk. But if you catch it, I find them the hardest to catch because there's so much time to think. Yes. yes. Oh, the panic! I can remember that panic <laughs> yeah.
1: feeling. Yeah.
3: Oh my! My,
1: I don't, my time used to always slow down, but it always was after so many things thrown at my brother's head. So many things, particularly out of the fruit bowl at different oh, strengths. I
2: threw the fruit bowl at my brother. The once. entire fruit bowl. <laughs> yes, because that's. <laughs> Because after I tried th- this, head, uh, that th- I clocked him one time, and then it was like I had so much power after that. Because I just because he knew I could, I had good aim, so I just picked something up in a threatening way. I <laughs> love
1: that. You, that was the lesson that you took away yeah. from this in life. Yeah. Oh god. Anyway, I've learnt more since then.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: There's also like I, I, I had a, a when I fed my dog once. Uh, they don't make PAL anymore, do they? But I think they do. Right. Well, when it, when you, you open the tin, but I, uh, you know, it's serrated because you're using oh, the yeah, tin yeah. opener. Oh, God. And so, you, but I just thought, well, this is taking too long. <laughs> or oh, I don't know what I was thinking, but I grabbed the serrated lid oh, my with God. my hand. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <It's just cool. laughs> and then it's like this what? is taking too long <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like one Mississippi two Mississippi and then the blood pours oh, out oh
2: that's when you know it's a
3: deep one <laughs> oh. but you know when you're a kid too. You're, and
1: you're, the blood coming out is not only distressing but you're also like you don't want your parents to see so you're yeah. like oh yeah. this is
3: Oh, i got to handle this on my own.
1: Well, go my, back to your fruit bowl. Oh, so I used to throw stuff at my brother, but my biggest fear after throwing was waiting to hear my dad's footsteps, like that oh. slowness where you'd go. And I remember being in the backyard with my brother once. We had a, a rope, like a swing, a tree rope, mm. and we just did the dumbest shit off it, so dumb. And it was almost like the more bored we got, the more dumb we'd be with this rope. And it got to the point one day where we were daring each other and, then, and, then it, and I dared him to get the rope. Put it around his ankle, stand on top of the deck roof, stand on top of the deck roof with roller skates on. (laughs) And he was like, Dare accept it. And you know, as watching him climb up and going, Oh, "Oh, this is a really, really bad idea, (laughs) knowing dad was inside and just going, I have every chance to tell him to stop doing this. (laughs) And you're both looking at each other, going, We know this is the worst decision we've ever made in our lives. But you just keep going 2D. with it and watching him stand on the top of the deck rope with the, the rope around his ankle with roller skates on, getting him up there was something in and of itself. Oh, my God, what? I know. And then he jumped and honestly, <gasps> there was this moment where I went, this is extraordinary because he flew down. Anyway. He hit the ground. The roller skates slid along like we thought they would. And <laughs> Then, the, then the rope jolted, and he flung out, and he fl- and he flew into the side of the shed, and he knocked himself out cold. And honestly, I stood there and I was like, the longest moment in my life was hearing my dad's footsteps running from inside. <laughs> i was still at the moment my brother's eyes began to open and he looked at me in terror because we were just like, that's that's coming.
3: Three triple R Tara June Winch is a Wurundjeri author based in France whose acclaimed debut novel Swallow the Air was republished in a 10th anniversary edition in 2016, the same year her second book, After the Carnage, was long listed for the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Fiction. Her new novel, The Yield, has just been released and she joins us now. Tara June Winch, welcome to Breakfasters.
6: Thanks for having me
3: pleasure. You've described The Yield as a story about a fictional family in a factual language set in a timeless Australia. Can you expand on that for the listener?
6: Uh, Yes, basically um, I was trying to write for many years for like the last decade a story about Australia as a whole and I guess that's why it took so long because it's too ambitious (laughs) Um, and when I compressed the whole view of the nation into 500 acres I decided to tell the story of that piece of land over all time. And so there's three narrative strands. One where the book opens is Poppy Albert Gondwindi, whose death is imminent and he wants to pass on to his family everything he's ever known. And he's also, he's doing that in the form of a dictionary in the Wiradjuri language. And so he's telling stories about him as a boy in a boy's home. And also he's telling the stories of his ancestors being because he is a time traveller so he's actually all his life been in touch with his ancestors who arrived when he was taken in, into the boy's home and they'd take him out to the river and <clears throat> over his life he was initiated so he's got these like quite funny stories and, and also quite practical stories like how to make the best fire and how to hunt for possum and the words all thread together and sort of make a river through the novel. And then there's two other narrative strands. August, Gondowindo who's returned from overseas for his funeral, and she's narrating the contemporary action where a mining company is threatening those 500 acres of land, and she's searching for Poppy's Dictionary. And then also, because I told this um, the story of our people on that piece of land, I needed to balance it out and tell the story of that piece of land also being a mission and also being a station and so there's Reverend Greenleaf who's a German Lutheran mission missionary and he's writing a letter in 1915 reflecting back on his work as a missionary building the mission on the same piece of land in 1880 and he's able to reflect in 1915 on what he did to the local people because of course in 1915 he's now an enemy of the state being a ger- German Lutheran and mm. can understand and kind of yeah, understand the denial, denying a people of their mother tongue because he's, he, it's happening to him now. And so, yeah, that's the book. <laughs>
3: mm. And has
6: your relationship with time
3: changed in the course of the writing of the book?
6: Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think so, yeah, because the ne- this next one that I'm writing is about eternal return, Nietzsche in eternal return. I've been going out to the Swiss Alps and reading all his books and taking all these walking trails and thinking about how time... Yeah, thinking a lot about time. So yeah, Mm. I think it has. Huge. Yeah.
3: And you've said you don't care about reviews uh, just so long as your family and Dr. Stan Grant Senior is happy. (laughs) Why is... uh why is this relationship and that opinion so important?
6: Oh, I, I mean, you always say you don't care about reviews. But, but like you do. Yeah, you're up at five o'clock in the morning at the paper shop <laughs> with your coffee shaking and <laughs> weeping mm. all the way home. Of course. No. Um, Dr. Stan Grant Senior, who is the father of the journalist Stan Grant, and Dr. John Rudder, who's a linguist, actually uh, revitalised the Wiradjuri language. For decades, they've been doing this work, incredible work, because they've brought a language that was on the brink of extinction back to life. It's just like, yeah, I can't sing their praises enough and what Mm. they've done for our mob. Mm -hmm. And uh, they actually published a Wiradjuri dictionary, the first Wiradjuri dictionary in about 2003, 2004? No, 2003, 2002, And um, in 2004, when I was researching swallow the Air, I was going back to country and I I stumbled upon the dictionary and did a little course and included a few words in my first book but knew that I wanted to expand more on that language because I was so moved by it. But, yeah, it just took ages. Mm.
1: You do use the language, I mean, quite literally in the book, as you said, uh, one of the characters is kind of presenting a dictionary uh, as you go through it. How did um using that language change your relationship to your own writing
6: sorry i took a sip of water
1: (laughs) i wanted to keep asking the question but then i'm like no i've
6: I've (laughs) (laughs) um it was tricky as well because i've a lot of that dictionary was written while i was living in france and while my daughter was like studying latin and spanish and so it was just like a blur of words around the house um it was beautiful to learn it, and i it's I sort of wrote it as a companion that you sort of you can carry around and and it's a guide and it's a um sort of historical fiction, and it's also like a handbook for native title claiming native title, and you could use it and go to the bush. There's lots of like bush information and survival in there as well. I, I just yeah, it changed my relationship with language, but it changed my relationship with everything. I don't know. Yeah, mm. uh, you
3: spoke at an, an at an event in Wollongong yesterday where you were raised. What, what's it like to go back um, after living in France, and especially in the concept, to, context of promoting this novel, which features a return to home?
6: Oh, it's funny. It's like really like a cool town now. It's all gentrified, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was really bad. All my ex-boyfriends' mothers, uh-huh. not them, their mothers oh, turned up. Wow. So, and I took my glasses off so I couldn't see the faces in the crowd. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> and But I knew I could just make out the silhouette of my old English high school teacher, like, uh, two feet from me. <gasps> and this was sweating, shaking.
1: Do people ever wonder whether... It's you right. Right. you, <laughs> pa- you <laughs>
4: passed by the yeah. way. Yeah. I know you did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do people ever wonder or ask you whether you've... If you're someone... That you've, If they're someone you've drawn from to write about in your books...
6: No, I just, I tell I tell people, like I told Uncle Tony Birch last night that he's in the book, he's a female character in the book, at, just at a certain moment. Oh. He was fine with it. I'm allowed to know who. Oh, he was like Aunt Missy in a museum when they go to, have you read the book? Yeah, Oh, I okay. Yeah. When she goes back to the museum and they're looking at their artefacts, the stuff that's been taken from those 500 acres of land and is now in muse- in a museum. Yeah. And she gets really upset and angry and starts fighting with the security guard and whatnot. That happened to us in London in 2014. Really? Yeah, there was all our artefacts there and at the British Museum and me and Omar Musa, the writer, and Tony Birch were in there like... Actually, Omar went off and Tony was like, take a photo of this and had his fist in that air. And we were like,
4: yeah, we stormed the
6: palace. That's awesome. So it's in the book. If you buy it, you can
3: read it. <laughs> oh, yeah. it And just to circle back to the ex's mothers. Wait, did they
6: <laughs> did they talk to you afterwards? Yeah, one of them, like, like she's a pretty stocky, strong woman. Yeah, cha- Italian, lovely lady, and she like like. She was the first person I saw. She, like, approached me like a rugby player. She was, like, (laughs) with a big smile, Tara, 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 it's Marie. And then, like, gave me this hug with one arm and literally felt like she broke my vertebrae. And And all the air left my chest. And then I just tried to avoid them for the rest of the night. (laughs) It's nice. They're very sweet and... You know, that's nice not to have any and hard you, mm, feelings. Did yeah. you speak to your English teacher? Are they proud? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, my old English teacher, I was like a bit of a not very good student. Oh, yes. I can relate to that. And um, I remember it was like year 10 and he was... I was in the middle of the end of a horseshoe, you know, arrangement of tables in the mm. classroom and he was sort of walking around telling us what we were going to be doing and he was chatting and, and I was kind of like mimicking him in a, <laughs> because it was boring what we were going to be doing yes. that semester. And I was like, and he as he was walking around, he was pretending that he wasn't listening to me and then when he got to me, he lunged at the table <gasps> with both hands and slapped them down. And then threw his head forward and said, "Shut up!" Oh, yeah. But he misfired like the distance oh. and actually head butted oh. me oh, oh in front of God. the whole class. <laughs> and then I, because I was being dramatic, but it actually like I thought he'd broken my nose. And I stood up and held my face and I went oh, and like ran out of the classroom to the principal's office. And then we were like, "It's okay. Like I'm not going to press charges. This is back in what the '90s or whatever." Yeah. And then now he's, like, my biggest fan and wow. I'm um, his biggest do fan too. How you feel about that? Oh, God. No, because he also showed me my first, the poem that, like, made me become a writer, made me drop out of high school. And really? Absolutely. What was that? It was Robert Frost, The Yellow Wood. Oh, really? Yeah. And he's incredible. He's this incredible crappy high school mm. english teacher he's not crappy but the yeah, yeah. high school was you know he had he had to put up with trying to teach these rowdy kids about literature and they weren't interested. And, yeah, now he's cool. He's a, ni- he's a nice guy. We hook a and, good yeah. hug. And
3: now you've come full circle because Swallow the Air was featured on the HSC syllabus. Um, what, what's that like to know that you are a cause of pain and consternation for oh, yeah, high so school funny. students?
6: There's all these one-star reviews online. And I know... <laughs> They're like, I had to read this for eight months. It's cool. I wish I could give it no stars. It's the
3: worst book ever. Oh my god! And oh. So many
6: angry seventeen-year-olds are so. That's all right, but reviews don't matter. Yeah.
3: That's <laughs> <wild>. <laughs> uh, and just quickly, you 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 had a quite amazing mentor, and uh, I'm wondering what your uh, Wale Schrödinger, yes, um, the Nobel laureate, and I'm wondering if you if you think about yourself as you know with these high school students giving one star reviews if if you're looking to even mentor yourself
6: oh i am a mentor i have been for the last year with a great um barkinji up-and-coming writer called alana hunt Mm -hmm. and she's going to have a book out with text next year yeah i've been mentoring her for the last year it's been incredible and and, um, yeah, it's good to see the next generation coming, up and coming and, mm. and getting stuff out there, new voices. I love it.
3: Brilliant. Okay, well, The Yield is out now through Penguin Random House. And uh, Tarajin Winch, thank you so much for coming in.
6: Thank you for having me.
3: Yeah,
0: R. You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.